Um, over the next six weeks, uh, we're going to be reading through the Old Testament book of Malachi to accompany our series on the book of Romans. Malachi was written to God's people who had experienced his gracious redemption from captivity in foreign lands. But as, all, um, as is all too often the case, God's people had lapsed into spiritual compromise. Malachi calls them to wake up for the coming of the long-awaited deliverer is near. So Malachi chapter 1, which is on page 675 of the Bibles and pews. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called under the wrath of God. Sorry. They'll be called under the wrath of they'll be called the wicked land, the people under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honours his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You have placed defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. You, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hand, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, rising from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contentiously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Curses the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will.
Thanks, Jay. Here's my main question for tonight. The question is, uh, what is true worship? What is true worship? So what would it look like for you and I to be giving God his, his true worth? That's what the word worship means. Giving him the honor, the adoration, the glory that our great God deserves. So what would true worship look like? Let me try and show you by giving you a, a typical week in the life of Paul Dale. Monday morning, I often wake up grumpy and grumbling after a busy weekend, emotionally drained, and I, I walk to work, and most Monday mornings I will be citing to myself, give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is the, the will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks to God in all circumstances. And just reciting that, that, that verse of Scripture, it just changes my attitude. I actually start to thank God for this amazing church and for the people I work with, and I thank God for the people who make my coffee, and I, I thank God for people in my home on a Monday night doing belonging or leaders' courses, whatever it is. It just changes your whole demeanor. Tuesday, often a long day with pastoral issues to deal with. You know, as I, as I walk home, uh, at the back of my mind, the, the selfish desire kicks in. Uh, I'd love a night just putting your feet up, just watching some trashy TV, and I think, no, no, encourage other people, build other people up. And so I might read the Bible with somebody, I might pray with somebody, make some phone calls, or go to a connect group, and it's a, it's a wonderful evening. Uh, Wednesday, I might be having uh, a meal with some unbelieving friends, and have a glass of wine, and, uh, and the conversation starts to become less and less godly. And so I just stop and quietly pray to myself, Lord God, please help me to bring the word of truth into this conversation and turn this conversation. It's amazing how God often answers that prayer. A Thursday, you know, you get a phone call from somebody wanting to meet up, or there's a sermon prep to do, or... The bishop might phone you to do something. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, don't people know how busy you are? And I think, no, no, no. Respect authority and love people like Christ loved the church. I go home on a Thursday night, and I'm looking forward to my, my running session, a track session on Thursday night. And I walk through the door at 6 o'clock, and, and Rachel will say, oh, I've had a dreadful day. And so I say to myself, Paul, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I don't go running. I sit and spend time with Rach. On Friday, my day off, and it's amazing on the day off how often bitterness can, can seep into your heart as you think about people and the wrongs that have been done to you or the people who have hurt you. And, and you can sit there having a cup of coffee and you're thinking, oh, this person and that person. And I think, no, no. And I cite to myself, forgive people, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. And that's an extraordinary transforming verse. And you start to think about how you can forgive these people and to pursue reconciliation and pursue peace. Take a Saturday morning, and Saturday morning is like, do I go for a ride up to the northern beaches, or do I spend time with Sam, or do I finish off a sermon, or what do I do as I just sit there and I pray, Lord, Give me wisdom how to use my time this morning. 
8 o'clock church on Sunday morning. You've got these beautiful old hymns, rich in theology, and this awe and this reverence for God, and you worship God at that service. And then you have people in your house for lunch, and then you come back to Sunday night church, and you know, the music is pumping, and the vibe is amazing, and you, you raise your hand saying, I love you, Lord, I worship you. And my question for you guys is, looking at the week of Paul Dale, when was I worshipping God? When was I worshipping my God? And the answer is, all the time. Every decision I made, every choice that I made, I'm worshipping my God. Let me try and show you. When you choose not to grumble, but to be grateful. You're worshipping God then. When you choose to give your time to other people and to encourage other people and to forgive other people, you're worshipping God at that moment. When you choose to, to love your wife or to love your husband or to, to be a good friend or to be a good son or to be a good daughter, you're, you're worshipping God at that moment as well. When you choose to make decisions that actually put you into situations when you can actually talk about Jesus, you're worshipping God then. When you make that decision as to what to watch on TV or what not to watch, you're worshipping God at that moment as well. Because that's how the Bible describes worship. Worshipping in, in the Scriptures is a whole-of-life kind of thing. Worship is not what happens in a particular place like this church with a particular group of people like 645 Church. Worship is not about a certain activity like singing or, or when you feel a particular emotion. Worship is a 24-7, everyday kind of thing. And that's the main message of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's about true worship. Look at it with me. It's on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Note the first word there, therefore. Therefore. Because of everything we've heard so far in Romans 1 to 11, this is the application, if you want. This is the impact. This is the so what. This is how all the theological stuff we've been wrestling with is going to change the way that you live. But let's just stop for a moment. Is it, see, the gospel is deeply theological, isn't it? We have wrestled with uh, the doctrine of election as to why God chooses some and not chooses others. We, we've wrestled with the doctrine of assurance where how can you be certain that nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ? We've wrestled with the doctrine of justification how can God save filthy, wretched sinners? We've wrestled with all the theology. But your belief must always change the way you behave. The creed must always change your conduct. And of course the gospel is theological, but it's also practical. And this letter to the Romans is not just a theological textbook not just here to fill your head with knowledge. It's supposed to change the way that you live. That, that word is so important. Therefore, 
This application is built on something because you now know that Christ died for you, because you've got the Spirit of God living in you, because you've been chosen by God. You see, what happens if you just go on to application? You see, people often say to me, Paul, just tell me what to do. Just tell me how to live. If I just preached the, the how to live and the what to do, we would have a church full of people who are either good, moral, upright people, but not necessarily saved people, because they haven't heard about Christ. Or, I'd have a church full of people who are striving to, to live out the Christian life, but they are weighed down and they are burdened and they're feeling guilty because they haven't understood it's about grace, not about what they do. And that's why this is so important. Therefore, because of everything you've heard, this is how you're to live. So what is true worship? The word is there, isn't it, in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians, in, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The word, therefore, spiritual, is not referring to the Holy Spirit. The word literally means your rational, your reasonable, your informed act of worship. This is how to give God his true worth. I've got three points tonight. Here's the first one. True worship is motivated by God's mercy. True worship is motivated by God's mercy. Do you see that in verse 1? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because of literally the mercies of God. That, that word, word, word mercy, uh, I love the translation, the tender-hearted compassion of God. In, in view of God's tender-hearted compassion. And you've had 11 chapters of God's mercy. God's mercy shown to undeserving sinners. God's mercy that's brought you peace with God. God's mercy has given you access to God. God's mercy revealed in the gospel of Christ crucified. That's the only motivation for your worship. It's really quite simple. True worship is just living out your faith. Because Christ died for you, because God has been kind to you, every decision, every action, every choice, when you choose to do one thing and not another, it all flows from your understanding of God's mercy. Now, because of God's mercy, I, I speak like this and not like that. And Romans 12 oozes with God's mercy. Because of God's mercy, look at verse 9, I'll hate what's evil and cling to what is good. Because of God's mercy, I'll be devoted to each other. Uh, verse 12, because of God's mercy, I can be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. Verse 13, because of God's mercy, I can share with God's people who are in need. Because of God's mercy, verse 14, I will bless those who persecute me. But all that stuff that we're called to do flows out of God's mercy. Let me say, if you're not a Christian here tonight, if you are yet to understand that Christ loved you and died for you, please don't think that by doing all this stuff I'm about to talk about will make you right with God. It won't. But if you've understood how merciful Christ has been to you, then you'll want to worship God in the way I'm about to talk about. 
So what is true worship? It's motivated by mercy. Secondly, true worship is, is total surrender to God. True worship is total surrender to God. Isn't that what verse 1 teaches us? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, here it is, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. To offer your bodies. He's not talking about your, your bodily looks. He's not talking about uh, whether your body is overweight or underweight or wrinkled or diseased or aching or awkward. It's not the bodily looks. It's your, it's your bodily behavior. The way that you act. Not just your heart, but your whole being, your heart, your soul, your body, your mind. God is saying, I want all of you. And true worship is when you say, God wants all of me, and I want to give all of me to God. That is true worship. Look again at verse 1. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Where does that language come from? It's the language of the... Um, Sacrificial system in Leviticus, isn't it? Sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. And if you know the Old Testament, uh, the priest would, would grab an animal and slaughter the animal and carry that poor animal on his shoulders and offer that animal as a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And Paul is saying now that we don't need priests because Jesus is our priest. We have direct access to God. And we don't need an animal sacrifice because we are the sacrifices. Our bodies are living sacrifices. Let me just be clear. He's not saying that by offering your bodies, you make atonement for your sin. Christ has already done that. But he is saying that in response to Christ, you give your whole body to God as a sacrifice. What, what kind of sacrifice? Verse 1, a living sacrifice. What he's saying there is that Unlike the ignorant animals, you are a willing sacrifice to God. Because your heart is saying, well, you love me so much, God. I want to give myself back to you. Uh, you are a holy sacrifice. That is, you, you are pure. You're without blemish. You're striving to be godly and righteous and pure. And that kind of worship is pleasing to God. Uh, like the aroma that's pleasing in the nostrils of the Almighty God. What is true worship? It's not about a church. It's not about music. It's not about feelings. It's not about mysticism. It's about you. It's about your actions. It's about your attitude. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, giving God his true worth. It's about your work life, your home life, your leisure life, your family life, your friendship life, your church life. Of course it includes church. When we gather to sing, we're worshipping God. When we gather to pray, we're worshipping God. When we gather to hear the word, we're worshipping God. But our worship doesn't stop here. As you walk out the door tonight, you are still worshipping God with your life. What is true worship? It's the total surrender of your whole being to God. We're about to sing a song tonight. And the refrain goes like this. Here I am, all of me, take my life, it's all for thee.
What's the hymn writer saying there? I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. This is what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, here's my lips. I want to worship you with my lips, Lord. So get rid of bitterness and anger and, and malice and poisonous words. Lord, here's my lips. May they be used as, as a vessel to speak the truth and to speak words of kindness and to speak the gospel. Here's my lips, Lord. Let me worship you with my lips. Lord, here's my hands. Lord, I pray that my hands might be used to give you the glory that you deserve. Even the mundane task with my hands, Lord, help me to, to love people with my hands. Help me to serve people. Help me to offer my hands as a, as a handshake of forgiveness to those who have wronged me. Here's my arms, Lord. Help me to embrace people who are unloved and in need. Oh, Lord, here's my arms. Help me to worship you with my arms. Here's my, here's my eyes, Lord. Oh, Lord, you know how tempted I am to look at things I shouldn't look at and to, to see things that I shouldn't see. Lord, take my eyes. Help me to worship you with my eyes. Lord, help me to see things. Help me to see people in distress. Help me to see people in need. Help me to see people I can, I can help and care for. Lord, here's my eyes. Help me to see you in the everyday. Here's my ears, Lord. I want to worship you while I listen to Please feed my ears with, with things of purity and, and the word of God. May it go into my ears. And help me to listen to people. Not just talk at them, but to listen to them. To hear their needs. Lord, here I am. Take my work life. Take my relationships. Take my friendships. My family life. My leisure time. 24-7, Lord, I just want to be used for you. So here I am. All of me. Take my life. It's all for thee. Now, friends, that is offering your bodies as living sacrifices. Every single part of you dedicated to your God as a living sacrifice. It's tough, isn't it? <laughs> how are you going to do it? Paul tells you how to do it in verse 2. He says, if you want to be totally devoted to God, it starts here. We sang tonight, and it's transformed from the inside out. It starts here with the mind, with the way that you think. So Paul says in verse 2, do not conform don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't be pressed into the mold of the world. Don't be shaped by the world. Because true worship will say, I'm not going to think like that. And I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to say that. Because that's worldly. And I belong to God. See, see true worship is, is actually being a, a non-conformist. And Christians have always been told to be non-conformists. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. Because the world doesn't know God, but we do know God. 
please be aware. Please be aware how much we are all shaped by our culture. I've been in Australia now for almost 10 years. And believe it or not, I am becoming more Australian. Just happens, just by living here. Your attitudes towards things, your expectations of life, your, your speech, your language. It's hard to live anywhere without conforming to that culture. And Paul is saying here, just be aware that your culture, your world will exert this extraordinary influence on you. Just, just the noise, the amount of information that comes in from the world. What's he saying? Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. See, see our, our world will teach us that if you've been wronged, then seek revenge or, or withhold forgiveness. And our world will say, uh, find your security in your money and in your happiness. And the world will say, you don't need to pray. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to obey your parents. And, and don't, expect, don't, don't respect authorities. And the world will shape your attitude towards work and parenting and dating and sex and religion. And the world will teach you about gluttony and greed and caring for elderly parents and the eth ethical decisions that you make on euthanasia and abortion and same-sex marriage. And the Bible says, unless you are alert and aware, you'll just subtly conform to the world and you won't be worshipping God. And I have to say, I think that's a shift I've seen in the last 20 years. I've been a Christian for 24 years. And I think I've seen Christians conforming more and more and more to the world. Uh, we, we dress like the world. We talk like the world. Uh, we work like the world. We, we play like the world. We've got to learn to critically digest what the world says and be discerning. Don't conform. What's the opposite of conforming? It's there in verse 2. Don't conform, but be transformed. Be transformed. And it starts here with a renewed mind. For those who like interesting facts, uh, that word transformation only appears one, once more in the New Testament. The only other time it appears is in the Gospels, where Jesus goes up the mountains with his friends, and he is transfigured. And that's what that word is. A transfiguration, a total change. And what Paul is saying is that if you want to truly worship God, then your minds need to be totally transfigured, totally renewed. And isn't it liberating that it's not down to us to change our minds? The moment you come to Christ, you've got a new mind. The Spirit of God lives in you. And what Paul is asking you to do is that continual process of allowing the Spirit of God to shape your mind and the Word of God to shape your mind rather than the world and its, and its culture. That's the process. Uh, J.B. Phillips says this, he says, don't let the world around you squeeze it into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Allow God to reshape your minds from within. So how are you going to do this? How are you going to keep renewing your mind? It's not rocket science. Just think about what you put into your mind. 
What books do you read? What music do you listen to? What TV programs do you watch? What conversations will you have? What are you feeding your minds with? And the best way to renew your mind each day is just to feed your mind with the Word of God. To feed your mind with books written by godly men and godly women. What is true worship? Here I am. All of me. A total surrender to God. And it starts here with the mind. Let me leave you with a third point and a short point. So true worship motivated by mercy. True worship total surrender to God. Thirdly, true worship. True worship means discerning the will of God. True worship means discerning the will of God. You spot that there, verse 2? Then. If you're not conforming to the world, if you are being transformed, then you, that's you and I, will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Isn't that extraordinary? With these transformed and new minds, we will be discerning God's will. We'll be desiring God's will. Let me give you some practical examples. This is true worship. Tomorrow morning, someone says to you, oh, what is success or what is achievement in life? And the culture says our, our success is about popularity and success is about uh, medals or certificates or financial security. But with your new mind, you worship God and you say, no, no, no. Success is about me being a humble servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. That is true success. Uh, someone says to you, oh, 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 what does it mean to be happy? And, and the world says being happy means being in a relationship with lots of possessions, going on holidays and having a healthy body. And the will of God says, health is great, holidays are great, relationships are great, but they don't bring happiness. True happiness is found in a deeper intimacy with my Savior. How do you use your money? Well, the world says, well, earn it, save it, spend it, enjoy it. And the will of God says, well, it all belongs to God, so just be generous with it. How do you respond to evil or hurt? The world says retaliate, stand up for your rights. And the will of God, the good, perfect will of God says, pursue reconciliation, forgive people, get rid of bitterness, get rid of malice. Now, do you see what true worship does? It enables you not just to know what the Bible says, but to actually do it. What is true worship? more than a song it's more than just your heart to God it's your whole being here's my body here's my mind here's me because I love you God because I know your good will today today I'm going to live for your glory so what I want to do now is just to take a moment by yourself just think about your work life Think about your family life. Think about your friendships. Think about your leisure time. And go, Lord, how can I truly worship you in those areas of my life? I'm going to give you a few moments to do that. And then I'm going to invite Robin Viv to come and lead us in prayer.